Father, I ask that your spirit would move among us and in each one of us who are your children to teach us your word, give us understanding, create in our hearts and our minds a desire to walk closely with you and empower us through your spirit to live a life of obedience that is directed toward you and celebrates you and obeys you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus gives us a guide for all of our life, for all of our behavior, for ours over in Spain, doing what we do there, living the life we live there, and for each of you, wherever you are and whatever God has called you to do and given you to do, so we can always know in every, at every moment what's right and what's wrong. But he doesn't give us a bullet list or a, or a glossary or an encyclopedia of right and wrong detailed. He gives us two commands, and those two commands give us to uh, go together, and they're the ones that we find in Matthew 22, when Jesus instructs us to love God with our whole person, with everything we are. And the second command he gives us is, he says, is like it, or according to different versions, similar but really, Jesus is saying it's not really similar or just under it. It goes with it. It's part of it, and that is to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus emphasize, or John emphasizes that even more in 1 John 4, 20, 21, when he tells us that if someone says, I love God, but he doesn't love the person he has next to him, his brother, then he's really a liar and he does not really love God. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles intensify that teaching for the church. So Jesus declared it, he gave the basic teaching, and then in the scriptures, the apostles just detail that. They work it out in daily life. Uh, John also says in his gospel, verses thir uh, chapter 13, 34, and 35, that he gives us a new commandment, uh, that Jesus gives us a new commandment that we love one another in the way he loved us in that same way that we should love each other. So this is the guide for all of our conduct, for all of our, for our attitudes, for all of life. It's that we love each other in the same way or following the example of Jesus loving us. That's the measuring rod. That's the standard Matter of fact, Jesus said that that's the way people would know that we're his disciples. So when we think of mission, when we think of outreach, when we think of the church, that's what it is. It's the church community. And mission is the world seeing how Jesus' disciples, those of us who are his followers, how we love each other. That's the biggest outreach. That's the biggest declaration of the gospel that we can live. It's the foundation of mission and great commission living in first peter and we are going to get to look closely at that text that was read but in first peter peter also in his letter details how we're to live and especially how we're to live in times and places that are complicated where there is opposition and resistance and he says among other instructions that he gives the church in verse, chapter 2, verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And by Gentiles, he doesn't 
means specifically non-Jewish people. He means, he's referring to those that don't know the Lord, those that have not accepted and, live, and are living, not living out and committed to the gospel. And the one thing that he, the global statement he re makes about our, our witness and our life and our testimony is to keep our behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And every specific instruction he gives in his letter, which if you read the first letter of Peter, it's like he must have written it uh, a year ago for us today because it's so appropriate and so relevant to what the world around us is like and what our situation as believers is and the opposition and resistance and just messed up times. All of that was the situation in Peter's day among his readers. And the one statement that he gives is for us to keep our conduct, to keep an excellent life, and the detailed instructions he gives are instructions about how to love each other. And that's what we should be about in Spain, where there, as the video clip mentioned, only around 1% of, of the whole population of Spain claim to be born-again believers, evangelical Christians, or however you want to describe it. And in general, uh, there's just an extreme spiritual dryness and resistance. Uh, everything and everybody is secular and takes pride in that. And everything you see here, even in this country, you see the statistics that people who identify as church members or church goers or believers, the numbers are going down in, in a drastic way. And there in Spain, it's already that way, just extreme dissatisfaction with religion from centuries of Catholic, Roman Catholic Church dominance, um, disillusion, cynicism, and just a deeply ingrained sense that nobody needs God, he has no place anywhere if he really exists, and we're good the way we are. So it is worth reading the letter that Peter wrote, 1 Peter, to get a guide for how we should live. And in these verses specifically, he focuses on loving each other. The Christian life isn't a solitary life. We can't live it alone. I don't know how confined anyone was here at any particular time of the pandemic, but it definitely brought to light the difficulties and struggles of not being with people. And especially we as believers need to live in community. In hard times when it's not easy to be a Christian, God's instructions focus on the church. Peter also gives us instructions about how we should relate in other social um, situations or social relationships such as our work and family relationships uh, with the toward the government and with those that surround us. He speaks to all that as you know, but he focuses, he always comes back to focus on our relationships as believers. And in verse 8, where we started reading, he says to sum up, and he's saying in conclusion, or finally your version might say, and he's going to give us then kind of a summary of everything, something that is relative to all the relationships he's been talking about, these ones we just mentioned. So it's his conclusion. So to sum up what, and he says, what should our 
to sum up what our behavior should be like, to sum up what all of our relationships should be like, to sum up how we should live in a world that opposes God for the most part and a world that besides that is a very complicated place to live in these days. To sum that up, here's what he gives us. How should we treat each other and specifically how we should love each other? What demonstrates love? So if we say, yes, we're followers of Jesus, and yes, of course, we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, strength, and soul, and all of our mind, and yes, we're supposed to love each other, what does that look like? So Peter paints a picture of what love looks like, and I'd just like to work through these verses as a reminder to us, because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it plays out, and in times when relationships seem to be dictated and conditioned by politics, views, situations, or sometimes even by suffering, conflict, when all of those things just pressure and bear on our relationships, even with those that are the closest to us, we need to come back to these things because this is what will guide us. This is our roadmap. This is step-by-step how to live so that we are truly living out the gospel. So he says, to sum up, first of all, he says, be harmonious. The words, uh, my text is from the New American Standard Bible. I have a few references to get a better idea from the King James Version. I know some of you use the ESV and other versions, so uh, between the different Type the different translations for the different phrases will get a good picture. But I'm uh, just to let you know my the words that I have are from the New American Standard. So he says, to sum up, be harmonious. Be harmonious. The King James Version says, be of one mind. Think alike. Have the same mindset. Have the same um, focus, the same way of thinking. As Philippians 2 tells us, be of the same mind or be of the same mindset. And that mindset should be like, Jesus, which is the law of love or the mindset of love. And it's the foundation of everything that unites us. And that's where we have to go to begin with. That's like the starting point. That's the meet here place, to be of the same mindset or be harmonious. Colossians 3.14 says, in addition to all these things, put on love. So it's a decision. It's a decision we make. Empathy. Empathy is the... Um, most, I believe, the most excellent quality and expression of love because it's identifying the other person, it's identifying what they're feeling, what they're thinking, and it's going alongside of that person in that feeling or in that situation. Like Romans 12, 15 tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. For most of us, This requires effort. I know a few people who do this very well, and it seems to come more naturally and maybe is easier for you. But for me and for many of us, it requires intentionality. The place where we, our little church was meeting there, um, we already, we can't meet there now because we're too many, there are too many of us and we outgrew that. It's a very small, it's basically a small classroom that we were meeting in. But in any case, there were very strictly enforced restrictions about meeting together. And 
And in addition, our, our church uh, people did not, even when they started to be lifted just really a few weeks or a couple months ago, um, many of our church did not feel quite comfortable meeting together physically again. And in, on top of that, we don't have a place to meet anyway. So all that means that we still meet by Zoom. So we have to find a way. Fortunately, there are few, enough, few of us enough that on a TV screen or on a laptop screen, we can all get on and see each other at once. We talk, we interact. But that's our way of having community when we can't be together physically. So that's just our situation there. The point that Peter's making is love each other as brothers and sisters. Do what you have to do to live a, the family life as a church. And it's such an important part of loving as Christ loved us. Then he says, love is compassionate. To be compassionate. I think some versions may say merciful, but the word refers to, there are different words that translate this because it, the, the, the Greek word is not a, not a special we use any longer to refer to our emotions and our tenderness, but really it's, it's, the word is our intestines, or our, in, our insides, because it's referring to the emotional center of the person, to where our affection is, to where our feelings are. And in the New Testament, this has a very positive uh, meaning, and it means to pour out or to extend affection, tenderness, goodness, friendliness to other people. And this is hard sometimes. And it seems like the, the, the social setting and the social cultural dynamics make that even harder because they pressure us toward, toward sharpness or toward, and it's easier, it's easier to respond harshly or firmly or with judgment than it is to see another person in front of me that's created in God's image and upon whom God is pouring out and gushing out his love and his affection, even if that person doesn't recognize him. And then to choose with everyone a compassionate spirit, but especially among each other. And then Peter says, we should love each other by being humble. By being humble in Spanish, this is translated by having a humble spirit. And it literally means not having a mind that's lifted up, not being high-minded, not being haughty, not seeing myself as on a higher level than others. And again, it's so easy to feel superior, to feel that we're right, to feel that we have the moral high ground, to have a proud spirit. But God asks us in love to be humble, to not impose ourselves, to be considerate of the other. Going on, Peter says in verse 9, and this is where it gets a little complicated because the other things are, maybe they're difficult and our tendencies are opposite. So we do have to choose to be merciful, compassionate, brotherly love and so on, but it's maybe kind of vague enough to, um, it's kind of easier to think you're doing it. But when he starts saying in verse 9, not returning evil for evil, it feels like he's going a little too far. 
However, those are the instructions God gives us for how to love. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. It would it helps us to just picture the context in which Peter wrote this and it blows us away how this could actually be a requirement for us. He was writing to believers who were at the beginning of what was to be several centuries of intense persecution of the church by Roman emperors and to some extent by the old Jewish community whose religion was threatened by Jesus' teaching. They were people who were going to suffer indescribable horrors against them specifically. They already lived under the tyrannical dictatorship of an evil emperor. So nothing was in their favor. Nobody agreed with them. No one said they were right. No one appreciated them. And we could say a lot more. But it was not an easy situation. And in that, and if you read the rest of First uh, Peter, you'll see a lot of instruction about how to respond when we suffer unfairly or unjustly. And he says simply, do not return evil for evil or insult for insult. That's the way of love. I'm not sure how that plays out in every situation. Each one has to figure it out. But when we're hurt, when someone does something terrible to us, when they attack our ministries, when they try to tear down what you're doing for God, or when they just hurt you personally, the response is not to, that does not give us a right to treat them in the same way. Jesus, again, he taught that from the beginning. In Matthew 5, we won't look at that now, but verses 38 to 48, when he talks about the cloaks and the mile and that kind of thing, the point he's making is don't return evil for evil. Don't have that same mindset in return. Choose the other things instead. Go back to the previous verse and choose those things instead. But it's not, again, as we said before, it's not enough to not do what we shouldn't do. Not returning evil for evil, not, insult for, not insulting when we're insulted. That's what we shouldn't do. But Peter goes even a step further and says we should give a blessing instead. Love cannot act as if the other person doesn't exist. Love cannot ignore. Love cannot give the silent treatment. Sometimes we need to distance ourselves. We need to distance ourselves from destructive people sometimes, from toxic people, people that are, present danger to our families or our ministries or our person. This verse does not tell us we have to live with everyone, but it forbids us from having a malicious attitude. It forbids us from quietly wishing harm on someone else. It forbids us from rejoicing when they're punished or when, we're, when they suffer. 
Do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. We can and we should. It's not easy, but it's part of obedience. To wish them well, to want and even pray for or even proclaim audibly the blessing of God in their life and the work of God in their life. It's part of love. Peter knows that this is extremely difficult for us. So he adds a phrase that he uses once or twice in other places of this letter when he gives the impression that he knows he's saying something that's going to be hard to swallow, something that's very difficult. So he uses, he uses a phrase that he uses in a couple other places when he gives us a very hard instruction, and it's this. For you were called. For you were called. We, who were we called to? We're called to Christ. Who are we in? We're in Christ. Who is God making us to be like? More and more like Christ. We're called to him. What did Christ do? If we're in him, we need to do what he did. Because it's, it's, it's even going beyond our imitation of Christ, which is, of course, what we should do, and we see what Jesus is like, so we take steps and follow that in our own lives it's that that's who we are we're in him we want intimacy with Christ this is what he did we're in him we belong to him we believed we came someday someone told us about Jesus and about his love and salvation and we realized that we needed salvation we realized that we were sinners we repented and turned from how we were trying to resolve everything and we put our faith and trust only in Jesus' death on the cross and in his life for us, and that's being in him. So we're in him, so part of our intimate fellowship with him is that we're called to suffer and is that we're going to be treated unjustly like he was treated and is that just like he did, just like he desires for everyone else, we should reflect that and desire blessing even for those that hurt us. For you were called for this, for the very purpose that you would inherit a blessing. It's just like what God teaches us about forgiveness in Ephesians 4.32, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Maybe we should delve more into that calling of God in our own lives and his forgiveness to us and how light years away from God's holiness and love, we are or we were when he reached out to us and called us and our calling is to Christ for this type of loving. And then in verses 10, 11, and 12, Peter finishes off this section with an Old Testament text. It's actually from Psalm 34 that Peter basically just reaches back into the Psalms and grabs this text to give uh, to back up the point he's making and to show the readers that this really isn't anything new. He says in verse 10, and now he's quoting Psalm 34, the one who desires to love life and see good days should, and he lists a series of things from that psalm. The road, the pathway to abundance, we, who doesn't desire to See to love life and see good days. That's an abundant life. That's, that's good living. That's a good life to have, and that's what we desire. So Peter reminds us that even from, uh, 
from centuries before he wrote, the way to that is not necessarily intuitive. We're not going to just by default know how we, how we get there. He says it passes through the way is to have a humble attitude toward others in verse 8. As, he's, as we've seen, to not respond in the same way when we're insulted or mistreated, as we saw in verse 9. And in verse 10 from Psalm 34, he says that way of love and the way to abundance is to, be, to speak the truth and to speak honestly, keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. In verse 11, it's to turn away from evil and do good. In verse 11, it's also to seek peace and pursue it. And overall, in verse 12, it's to be motivated by the presence of God in our lives and by a desire to please him. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against evildoers. So in conclusion, God will do his work and build his church. We're excited to see what he's doing and how he's doing that here. We bless you and celebrate with you everything God is doing in your midst, doing what he said he would do, building his church, as he's doing also around the world, including the northeast of Spain, Catalonia. And he calls you and me to live in love. May God bless and empower you as we follow him in that.